Welcome to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief, a monthly recap of the macroeconomic and market environment. Well, greetings and welcome to the Investment Strategy Brief podcast. This is Michael O'Keefe, Stiefel's Chief Investment Officer. Hey, it's April 2023, and I want to get into a discussion around some of the signposts we talked about in our outlook a few months ago for 2023, and really the prospect of uh, sort of a greater probability of a recession, kind of what's driving that. Now, if we look uh, back to and think back to the uh, outlook that we have for the year, we talked about finding balance. We talked about the first half of the year being volatile and uncertain, uh, where we'd get a little more clarity towards the middle of the year on things like Fed policy and inflation that may lead to a sense of balance among investors and at least that being a first step towards a new bull market and kind of recovery. And, you know, a lot has happened since then, uh, but I want to get into some of the signposts. We'll talk a little bit about China and China's reopening, uh, where we see market and Fed forecasts in terms of uh, Fed policy. Uh, We'll get into inflation, uh, just what we're seeing in inflation indices, uh, et cetera. I want to talk a bit about the labor market and uh, the loosening of what is a really tight labor market, and then end on um, you know some observations about recession and earnings. Uh, but you know, jumping into it really first around China, recall that as we ended last year, uh, essentially there were um, there was a zero COVID policy in China, so things were really shut down, and they were sort of struggling to reopen. But they basically got to it and announced a full reopening in March, Um, and really things are back towards normal. So air travel is at 92% of pre-COVID levels, restaurants are about 80% or so, traffic uh, in major cities up to about 76% of that capacity. So essentially China's reopening, and and with that recovery, so the uh, GDP, real GDP, is expected to grow 5.3% in 2023 by consensus forecast, and that's over a 3% uh, number in 2022 and we see things like retail sales growing where they were contracting a while ago and uh, even the service sector kind of uh, re-emerging as uh, people that re-engage in the economy. Now with that, maybe uh, coincident, maybe not, um, are sort of increased risks geopolitically with China. So we have this spy balloon issue that we've all heard about and uh, maybe greater tensions between the U.S. and China that result uh, from that and other things, honestly. There's uh, concerns around uh, the relationship between China and Russia and any support they might provide as it relates to the uh, Ukraine war, for example. And then there's tensions as it relates to the U.S.'s relationship with Taiwan um, and things like our worries about their TikTok app and things like that. Now, China, while this is happening, is reasserting itself as a global power. It's kind of re-emerging. They've weighed in on a peace framework for Russia-Ukraine. They've hosted other uh, world leaders like the French president and the Brazilian president and have gotten involved in some Middle East uh, sort of negotiations. Uh, this does all sort of tease out the idea of uh, in our geopolitical dashboard of two different themes. One is increased localization and protectionism, meaning that, you know, uh, generally there is, um, you know, tensions between uh, areas where maybe there's been more free trade in the past than the U.S. and China being a good example of that. 
And then the idea of a more divided world. We come from a history, uh, recently for sure, of a unipolar world sort of anchored on the U.S. and our economy and all that. And China is sort of blatantly challenging that. So um, uh, moving more towards a multipolar world. So anyway, I think as it relates to our outlook and that signpost, the idea that China kind of reopening and reengaging in the global economy was important. And we've sort of accomplished that, if you will, in terms of that signpost. Um, now, next up, I want to get into the labor market. The, the idea with labor, of course, is that there have been many more jobs available than people looking for work. There have been many jobs available generally. Uh, unemployment's been low. Uh, jobless claims have been low. Wage growth has been elevated. That's all sort of created a tighter labor market that fuels inflation. And what we've seen anyway of late are, are numbers kind of easing. So things like JOLTS job openings have declined this year. Non-farm payrolls, another job measure, has declined this year. Jobless claims has increased this year. And then wage growth, that pressure on wages has actually declined a bit uh, here. And it's declined last year, but, but continues to do so this year. So long story short, we're seeing a loosening of the labor market. And with that, kind of coincident, maybe a driver in part of the following is, in, is a rollover inflation. So the kind of 12-month ended periods, let's say all the way through March, uh, inflation numbers are still pretty elevated relative to the Fed's 2% target, but they've really rolled over. Um, and when we look, for example, at the break-even rates out a year, two years, three years from now, the numbers are uh, kind of falling towards the Fed two, Fed's 2% target. And in fact, when we dig into the monthly numbers, you know, things like goods have settled down, energy has not only settled down, but gone negative. Food, which is still elevated, has been declining uh, in terms of inflation there. And then services remains a bit sticky, which remember in includes to some degree the cost of shelter and the fact that there's a delay between uh, how rents are changing today versus when that gets reported into the indices. So we're expecting the shelter component to fall. But even with all of that, think of it as the producer price index actually falling for the last number of months near, on a monthly basis, near the Fed's 2% target, the equivalent of that. CPI remains a little bit uh, elevated, a little bit firm, but it's definitely come down on a monthly basis from where it's been. So on the surface, we'd say, hey, we're moving towards price stability, one of the Fed's uh, elements of its dual mandate. And there's a little bit more to go, but we're seeing really good data. Now, what we also know is that we've seen uh, a, a market impact uh, from the bank troubles that we talked about in the last episode where con financial conditions have tightened and the risk of a deep recession has risen. And we've seen, again, softening of employment, which is uh, potentially its early days, but one of the effects of uh, the bank troubles where we're going to see essentially tighter uh, lending standards, less lending net-net uh, for all of that. So all of that is fed into uh, a Fed meeting that occurred March 21st and 22nd, which we talked about in the last episode, and then another one coming up in a couple of weeks. But the, the punchline is the Fed hiked a quarter point. We talked about the idea that they shifted their messaging to say they may continue to hike rates, but they, that implies they may not, and that they're going to be a bit more data dependent. So they're watching the effect, uh, the tightening effect of the uh, bank troubles, among other things. That's led to the market having a forecast that maybe we'll see one quarter point 
more uh, hike in the Fed funds rate, but then the market's sort of expecting, most likely from a, a, an economic slowdown, if not recession, for the Fed funds rate to roll over, meaning the Fed could be cutting rates later this year. Now, just to turn our attention for a quick minute to the, the banking troubles, remember that we had a couple banks fail, and we had another one shut itself down. But the, the punchline is what we saw is the Fed step in, provide some liquidity. Uh, we have seen an increase in delinquency rates on loans. We have seen a little bit of a widening of the commercial paper to T-bill spread, which is a signal of stress sort of between banks. But it's really not, nowhere near where it was uh, during the pandemic, nor especially the great financial crisis. And then we've seen a, an indication that banks are tightening their lending standards. So all that's expected in the wake of these troubles. And, and our, uh, our affiliate company, Keith Brett and Woods, or KBW, who's the expert in financial services and especially banks and regional banks, basically have come out and said, look, in the near term, earnings on banks are going to be uh, driven and dictated, if you will, by balance sheet-related information, deposits, liquidity, capital, etc., Medium to long term, we, do, we should expect increased regulations. We should expect uh, increased liquidity requirements. Maybe the mark-to-market of securities in the capital uh, requirements of uh, non-global systemically important banks, i.e. Um, uh, regional banks, for example. And then uh, all this leads to maybe l- reduced lending activity, maybe an increase in FDIC, the FDIC insurance, and all in all, banks becoming less profitable. They did also observe, of course, that we've had crises like this in the past, the, those in the past much more severe than what we're experiencing currently. But, you know, long story short, it takes time for, uh, for things to recover. And um, so they're, they're sort of cautioning people to, you know, to have patience in the current environment. In any event, all that feeds to the idea that we are expecting economic growth to slow. Um, and, um, you know, there are a lot of different data points we look at. One that's interesting to me is the change in money supply. So we've seen a, a change from what was this sort of uh, increase in money supply to support pandemic recovery and the year-over-year growth has turned negative. Uh, and on the surface, that negative, that growth change uh, is often a signal of economic trouble but, you know, when we look at the money supply, so think of it as the aggregate money supply, um, it grew a lot above trend uh, since the pandemic. So while we've seen some give back in that above trend level, we're still well above where we would have been had the pandemic, quote unquote, not happened. And so, you know, some would argue that that means a lot of liquidity in the system and that that should be supportive of the economy. And in fact, when we look at things like March purchasing managers indices really in the u.s and around the world they're all quote unquote in the green meaning they're all above 50 uh, most of them are um, uh, signaling expansion and uh, that's driven to a good degree by services but the long and the short of it is that data is still uh, signaling expansion now those are march numbers that don't really yet reflect uh, any kind of contracting effect of the bank troubles. So we'll see and are expecting things, in fact, to slow down a good amount. Um, there are things like the yield curve inversion that tell, so that tell us that, hey, we should be uh, mindful a recession could be coming. There are leading economic indicators still signaling uh, contraction as we look forward. 
and in fact a rollover in corporate profits. So profits, uh, profit growth has really softened uh, of late. Again, an indication of the effect of Fed funds tightening and the beginning of the effect of tightening effects from these bank troubles. In any event, most experts are calling for a strong likelihood of recession sometime here in 2023, and depending on who you ask, it's sooner or later. We don't think we're quite there yet. We don't think it will be quite as severe as perhaps others um, are saying. In any event, all of that, though, leads to something we've been talking about for months now, and that's a continued slowdown in earnings growth. And in fact, I would say, as I think we talked about in the last episode, the top-down views, the consensus view, is to be down almost 3%. Uh, in terms of earnings decline uh, for the S&P 500 in 2023. Uh, market results as a result of that have been interesting, I would say, with a decline in treasury rates related to that flight to quality from the bank troubles. The actual uh, big tech stocks, for example, recovered a lot here in 2023, especially since that March 8th event, and that's held the market up. So the market overall in 2023 has done reasonably well. Uh, but again, very much supported by those big tech uh, uh, names in the indices. And by the way, non-U.S. stocks have, have done well also in uh, 2023. Um, you know, to round out a, a, a quick look at market-related levels, we've seen bond yields roll over a little bit from their highs during 2023, but still well above where they were, uh, let's say, at the start of 2022. Um, and so we've sort of lived through this rate hike uh, cycle with the Fed. Market rates have followed suit. And um, and so especially for people that are looking to put money to work in fixed income, it's a, it's a, it continues to be uh, a good time. I want to close out by just reminding people that you know we do have a calendar that's chock full of events that we see unfolding through the balance of the year month to month. We've got employment data, Fed policy decision in early May, more inflation data to, to parse, uh, and uh, consumer-related data, retail sales, et cetera. And you know, the bottom line is we're going to be watching all that. We're going to expect some volatility, especially here in the first half of the year, as some numbers uh, uh, are positive, others disappoint. And so we should expect volatility to continue against this sort of backdrop of um, a increased uh, chance of a, a reasonably, you know, meaningful recession as we look forward. Those are the topics I wanted to cover in this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I'll remind folks to go to stiefelinsights.com if they want to check out the broader body of our work. And until our next episode, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to automatically receive each month's podcast in your feed.